We are going to now turn uh, to 2 Timothy, uh, is where we're going to be today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. So if you gr- grab your Bible, you can open it up uh, right there. I want to just give us a bit of context uh, for where we have been. If you remember back last week, Matt was just working uh, through the passage before this, where uh, Paul was talking to his protege, Timothy, uh, instructing him that he is going to need to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That there is going to be suffering that's going to come for him in this life, and he needs to be ready uh, for that. Paul is going to continue that theme uh, today. He's going to continue to talk about uh, what it looks like, really using his own life as an example uh, for Timothy of what it looks like uh, to endure in suffering, to, to share in the sufferings that Christ uh, calls us to. And so before we kind of jump into the text, I just want us to kind of remember a little bit of what Paul's suffering actually uh, looked like. Because sometimes we read Paul's letters and uh, we kind of forget a little bit uh, what it looked like because he's always so joyful. He's always so full of hope. You think, well, it can't be that bad. But really, his life was really, really difficult. Uh, this is how he describes it in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. This is just some of the things that happened to him. He says, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. A difficult life for Paul that he had in suffering for what God was calling him to do. And even now he's in, in prison, right? As Matt described back at the beginning of the series, probably a, a prison where it's kind of a, this hole in the ground a prison that he's there. He's chained to a wall. There's maybe one hole uh, above him where he can get food or light in. Uh, not a great place to be, facing probably uh, his death. The question is, why do all this? Why suffer like this? Why go through all of these things? Why endure all of this? I think that's maybe the question that's on Timothy's mind as he thinks about his mentor, Paul. Right? Paul is calling him to share in suffering, and he knows what suffering looks like for Paul. And I think in Timothy's mind, he's a young pastor, lots of potential, whole life ahead of him. He's like, why? Why do I need to share in this suffering? What does that actually look like? Why should I do it? And I think sometimes we have that same question. For, for us, we, we wonder, we know, okay, as a Christian, yes, we, we know that there may be suffering, but why should we suffer? Why should we endure suffering? You know, we, we don't have perhaps the same kind of thing that Paul has where we're facing imprisonment or, or death necessarily, but there, there is suffering that comes as a result of being a Christian, even here in Canada, right? There, there is slander that happens. There is a loss of relationships when we stand up for certain truths, even perhaps the loss of our job, tension in, in family or, or friends. There's difficult things that can come because of our faith in Christ or standing up for what we believe. Some of you have experienced that in your own lives. And the question again is why? Why should we endure this kind of suffering? But even more than that, not just why should we like on an intellectual level, like why is it good to do this, but like how? How do you endure this suffering? Both of those are difficult questions to answer. And it's in fact both of those questions that Paul seeks to answer in, in the text 
that we're going to read now. Uh, Paul is going to tackle both of these things, showing us uh, two things, two questions we're going to look at. Why endure suffering? And what are the motivations for enduring suffering? So let me read the passage and then we'll go uh, into it uh, together. So 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 13. I, I don't think it's up on the screen, so you can just read along or, or listen. Paul writes, Remember Christ, or Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So again, as we look at this uh, passage, uh, two questions to answer. Why endure suffering and what are the motivations for enduring suffering? Uh, first, why endure suffering? I think there's three things that Paul points to here of why he endures suffering as an example for Timothy. The first is he endures suffering for Jesus. He endures suffering for Jesus. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So he's saying, uh, Timothy, remember Jesus. Remember the one for whom I'm, I'm suffering. I'm not here just suffering because, you know what, I, I've done something wrong. I'm not suffering because suffering is somehow noble in itself. I'm suffering for Jesus. Remember, he is the reason I'm suffering. When you think of me, you think of me in this prison, chained to this wall, enduring all this hardship. Remember why I'm here. Remember Jesus. He is the reason why I'm, I'm going through this. And he highlights two aspects of Jesus. You'll see there in the text. He says, uh, Jesus Christ risen from the dead and the offspring of David. And those two elements highlight two uh, characteristics of Jesus, that Jesus is both savior and king. The resurrection from the dead reminds us that Jesus paid the penalty for sin. His resurrection proves that he actually paid that full penalty. Death could not hold him. He is our savior who has died for our sin. But the offspring of David, that reminds us that Jesus is king. David was the, the king of Israel who God promised one day he would have a, an offspring who would reign forever. Jesus is that king. Jesus is both savior and king. Remember this, Timothy, when you think of me. This is the, the Jesus who I'm willing to suffer this for. Yes, there is shame. Uh, yes, there, there, there is ridicule. Yes, there is hardship. But I'm doing it for Jesus. In the end, I'm doing it for my savior. I'm doing it for my king. Of course, so I'm going to do this. He, he wears it not as something shameful. He wears this suffering uh, like a badge of honor. It reminds me of, of the disciples uh, in the early church, uh, right after Jesus is resurrected, we read about it in the, the book of Acts. Uh, the, the disciples um, begin to uh, talk to people about Jesus. They go out into the temple. There's a guy there that they heal. They begin to teach about Jesus. The authorities come and they say, hey, you, you can't be uh, teaching about Jesus. You can't be talking about Jesus. We, we've killed him. Don't, don't talk about him. And they're like, well, we, can't, we can't help but talk about Jesus. We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. They're like, don't do it. Don't talk about Jesus. They go away and come back a few weeks later. They begin, again, teaching about Jesus in the temple. 
the authorities come, they take uh, the whole apostles, it seems like there's the 12 of them there, they throw them into prison. Throw them into prison, the next day they come to get them. Uh, but the prison is empty. The door's still locked, the guards are still outside, but the prison's empty. They're like, where are the... Where the disciples, they find out they're actually back in the temple. Somehow they've escaped. We don't know how. They're in the temple. They're preaching again about Jesus. They come. They say, stop talking about Jesus. We told you. And they're like, well, we have to obey God, not men. So we're going to keep preaching. And, and it says at this point, the religious leaders are enraged. They, they want to kill them, but they don't. They hold off a little bit. They decide we're just going to, to beat them. We're going to punish them. We're going to make an example of these men. And so they take uh, the apostles and it says they received uh, a, a beating, the 39 lashes minus one. And this was where they would uh, basically uh, whip you. They would whip you across your back, across your chest. And uh, it was a horrific beating, usually left you with much of your skin uh, pulled off. You, you were in pain, you were sore. Uh, some people were known even to have died from this kind of beating. Here the apostles, they receive this beating for speaking about Jesus, suffering for him, and when they leave, what is it that they say? Look at Acts chapter 5. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They, were, they said, we're worthy to suffer for Jesus. That led to rejoicing. They were rejoicing. Look, we are, we're willing to suffer for Jesus. Of course we will. Of course we will suffer for him. We're worthy to suffer for the name. And the same is true of Paul. He endures suffering for Jesus because it's ultimately for him of why he's there. So that's the first reason. Uh, the second reason that Paul endures suffering is because the word is not bound. Because the word is not bound. Look at uh, the verses again. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, because the word of God is not bound, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I, he's saying, I'll go through anything. I'll, I'll endure all of this. Why? Because the word of God is not bound. And it's this amazing picture. You can imagine Paul there in, in prison, chained to the wall. He can't do anything. He can't go anywhere. He's limited. And his point is, but God's word is not limited. God's word is not bound. See, if you had to, to summarize what Paul is saying, he's saying, I, I suffer because although I am bound, although I can't do anything, ultimately this doesn't depend on me. It depends on God and God's word going forth. It's reminiscent of what Isaiah the prophet writes in Isaiah 55. He says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This confidence that God's word will go out and it will accomplish what God has purposed. In fact, Paul talks often about God's word in this way or, or the gospel message in this way. We see it as well in, in Colossians chapter one. He writes to them, he says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Those two ideas, similar, uses them in the same way. The word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing 
as it also does among you. It's this idea the gospel is almost personified. This word of God is going forth, it's spreading, and he uses it to talk about the way in which God is working in the world through his word, through the gospel message. And so again, Paul is saying, uh, my, the reason I endure suffering is because it doesn't depend on me. I, I don't need to be there for this all to, to happen. God's word will go forth, which is incredibly encouraging for us. Because if you're anything like me, there's many times where you feel either uh, just limited or inadequate to do the things that God has called us to do. Right? There are, are times in our life, seasons, where we maybe we can't give the time of energy uh, we wanted to to serving in the church. Uh, you know what? Because of our circumstances, we're at home and we're not able to get out as much and meet other people. You know, we've got family members who live across the country who are unsaved and we feel bound. We feel like, I, I can't do all the things that I need to do. And in those moments, our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is in God's word. In God, through his word, through the gospel message, working in the lives of those around us. And we couldn't, in one sense, stop here. But there's another uh, layer to this that I think our text brings out. And, and it's this. That if we don't really trust in the power of God's word to go forth. That we are going to be tempted to compromise certain things in order to avoid suffering. Let me say that again. If we don't actually believe that God's word going forth, God's word is not bound and doesn't matter about us. We don't really believe that. We're going to be tempted to compromise when suffering comes so we can avoid it. Because we're going to think we need to actually do something. And if we're suffering, we're not going to be able to do it. Let me give you an example. Paul. Think about Paul's situation right now. Paul is in the worst possible situation, humanly speaking, that he could be to, for accomplishing the goals and the purposes that he has. Uh, Paul wants to go and plant churches all around Europe. He wants to go and strengthen other churches that he's already started, building them up. That's what he wants to do. And he is probably one of the best people on the planet at that time to do it. He is like the best church planter in the history of Christianity. The guy has a vision of the resurrected Jesus. He's seen him face to face. He has one of the most powerful testimonies of anyone around, of someone who was opposed to Christian, turned his life around by Jesus, and is now all in for Christ. If there is anyone you do not want stuck in a pit outside Rome, chained to a wall, it's that guy. Like, just think of all the good he could do. Think about all the things that Paul could accomplish, all the amazing things he could do, churches he could plant, people he could build up. If only he didn't have to suffer like this. As you can imagine, in Paul's mind or in the mind of those around Paul, it would be easy to, in some sense, justify saying, I'm, I'm not perhaps maybe going to be as bold as I could. I'm maybe not going to say uh, quite those things. I'm not going to uh, perhaps soften, I'll soften the message of Jesus uh, on this bit to these people because then they won't, you know, stone me. Then we won't lock me up in prison. Then, then all these things won't come to me because in the end, you can imagine him saying, what's well, better to, you know what, compromise a little bit here and still be able to preach the gospel and do all these good things rather than, you know, you know stand firm, be bold, but then be stuck in a prison. But that's the exact opposite of what Paul actually does. Uh, here's an example of how Paul actually responds. Go back a, a few years, Paul is coming back uh, towards Jerusalem uh, from one of his mission trips. 
He's headed back towards Jerusalem, and he knows that likely by going into Jerusalem, he will probably be arrested. He doesn't know exactly what will happen, but that's probably a good guess. He ends up in a city uh, not too far from Jerusalem, and there's a group of uh, Christians that are gathered there. And uh, there's a prophet that that comes and begins to speak to Paul and warns him about what's about to happen to him. Uh, This is what it says in Acts chapter 21. And uh, and coming to us, this prophet, uh, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we, this is the other disciples, the other Christians who were there, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. You imagine, they're like, Paul, look, this guy, he just prophesied and said, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound, you're going to be arrested. Paul, there's still so many churches to plant. There's so much work for you to do. You're the guy who can do this. You're our leader. Don't, don't go there. There's still so many good things to do. But what's Paul's response? Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So here we see Paul, he, he's, not, he's not interested in trying to avoid some kind of suffering that's going to come to himself because of some perhaps greater good that may happen in the future. Why? Because he knows it's not about him. His confidence is not in him and his ability to go and plant churches and to build up churches. His confidence is in God's word. He's saying, I can be bound and God's word is not bound. God will still go forth. The gospel will still go forth. It doesn't have to be me. God will raise up other people. Reminds me of the story I heard of a guy named Patrick Hamilton. Patrick Hamilton was born in Scotland in the early 1500s. Uh, Scotland there at that time was completely Roman Catholic. Uh, And he was born uh, to royal blood. Uh, He was the great-grandson of the king. He had a lot of connections, knew a lot of people, uh, was very high up in society at that time. And uh, about the time he was 24... Uh, he began to hear of some rumblings of the Reformation on the European continent. You know, Martin Luther had just uh, posted his 95 Theses, the Reformation in in Germany and in Switzerland had kind of gotten underway. And so he heard about these things and was curious. He went over, started to learn from some of these guys, hear their teachings on the Bible, realized all the things he had been taught as a Roman Catholic were not actually correct about the Bible. And he said, no, we need to actually preach the true gospel. And so he learned from these guys, came back over to Scotland and began to to preach. Preach what the gospel message was, salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Within a few days, he was arrested. It didn't take long. The authorities were all over him. Grabbed him, brought him to a trial. They they expediated uh, his trial because they knew he had influential friends who were actually, as soon as he got arrested, they started moving down uh, from a northern city coming to try and rescue him. So they had his trial very quick. They brought him uh, basically uh, to a stake and said, uh, if you do not recount your views, we will burn you at the stake. And you can imagine Patrick Hamilton at this moment, he's got a choice to make. He is a pretty influential guy. You know what, if he delayed just a little bit, his friends are probably on the way to rescue him. 
There's probably a lot of good that he could do, even if he just says, yeah, I didn't believe that. He could start teaching underground. He could do more work. He could go back over to Europe. There's a lot of good gospel work that he could do. He would just need to avoid this suffering a bit. He would just need to compromise a little bit here. But what does he do? He says, no, no way, I recant. I'm standing firm on these truths. And, and they burned him. They burned him at the stake. And yet, by God's grace and God's providence, that, that was a, a move that began a, a work of God in, in Scotland. People began to hear about this guy, saying, what was the truth that this guy is willing to die for? This is this noble guy who's willing to die for this? What, what's this about? In fact, some of the people who interrogated him eventually became Christians, and there became a, a movement of Protestant Christianity in Scotland, not just through this one man, but you can see the point. If Patrick Hamilton's confidence was in himself and in his ability to do gospel work, then it would be easy to justify and say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll recant now, but I can do other things. There's some possible greater good in the future. But his confidence, like Paul's, was in God and in God's word going forth, which it did. So here's the thing. Uh, we can also face that same temptation, can't we? There are situations that we can think of perhaps in our life now or perhaps in the future where we know that there may be some kind of suffering that we might face. And it might mean that that suffering takes away future chances to share the gospel. It might mean that relationships might break down. It might mean that we're not able to uh, talk with our coworkers in the same way. It might mean that family or friends distance themselves. And we can be tempted to think, well, but I'll just avoid saying this. Or, or I won't stand up quite so strongly for this truth because there's a lot of other good things that could happen here. And so at the same time, we need to understand Jesus did say, just to be clear, Jesus did say we need to be wise as, as serpents, as innocent as doves. There's times in Jesus' ministry where he doesn't go to certain cities because he knows he'll be arrested there. And so don't hear me say we need to now go rush into every situation and just try and bring about as much suffering or persecution on ourselves as possible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm also uh, not saying that we need to go and try and, you know, be so bold that we offend everybody all the time in all of our conversations, break every relationship we have. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that we often use such excuses to avoid suffering for Jesus. We, we see things and we think, if this happens, though, if I take on this suffering, I'm not going to be as effective I'm not going to be able to do certain kinds of work or, or be with certain kinds of people. And what I want to push us towards is the confidence that doesn't come from ourselves, but comes from God. A confidence in God's word going forth. He is not bound, even if we are, by our circumstances or physically. God's word is not bound. Our job is simply to be faithful. So that was the second point. God's word is not bound. That's why Paul endures suffering. Uh, let's move to our third point. The third point uh, that he makes of why endure suffering is for the spiritual good of others. For the spiritual good of others. Uh, he writes in verses 9 and 10, uh, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect 
that they may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. And this term, uh, elect, it's another way that New Testament authors often use to talk about the church. It means God's chosen ones, the ones that he's chosen to be saved, true Christians. Uh, We don't have time to go into the whole doctrine of election, but just here's a couple examples for you of how this term is used in the Bible. Uh, Mark 13, uh, Jesus uses it. He says, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, uh, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Or, or Paul writes in Titus 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. It's a way of talking about God's people, the church. And Paul here is saying, I'm enduring everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the spiritual good of others. He says that they may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. To which we might say, Obtain the salvation. Wait, I thought they were already saved. Right? They're the church. They're Christians. Which the answer is yes, in one sense. When we become a Christian, when we trust in Christ, we have in a sense been saved, but it's the promise of that salvation that will come. Right? The real salvation is when we actually obtain the inheritance, when we are saved from the justice that we deserve and given eternal life. And Paul's saying, I I want to strengthen Christians by my suffering to make sure they make it to the end. To make sure that they will actually obtain that salvation. And so he believes that him going through hardship is actually going to make it easier for people to do that. And, And one of the reasons why is that he believes that his own suffering inspires other people's endurance in suffering. His own suffering inspires other people to endure in suffering. Uh, Look at what he writes in Philippians chapter 1. This is Paul writing to a a church he loves uh, from prison. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, him being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are more, much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so you see the, the connection. He's saying that there's most of the brothers, they become confident in the Lord by his imprisonment. They see Paul going to prison, doing that, and they're saying, oh, well, I can be bold like that too. God is still with Paul in the midst of this. I can, I can go and do the same. And it's interesting. Uh, at, at one point, I was uh, memorizing some of these verses and um, I came to this verse about most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord. And whenever I would memorize it, for some reason, uh, I would, you know, say it back to my kids or my wife to get them to test me. And I would always say, and many of the brothers. Many of the brothers, not most. And they would always correct me. No, no, David, it's most. And I think it's because in my mind, when I was thinking about this, I think, yeah, Paul, you know, he goes and he suffers. And you know what? There's many people. There's many people who become more bold, but that's not what it says. It says most of the brothers. He's saying like almost all of them were inspired by the way in which I was imprisoned and walked through this and they now are much more bold to speak the word. And so he has this confidence that him going through suffering will actually strengthen and encourage his, his brothers and sisters around them, around him. And the same is true for us. That us, when we are willing to endure suffering for the sake of Christ, because we trust that the word of God is not bound, that we can actually be an encouragement to our, our church members around us, the brothers and sisters that God has placed us with. 
I'll give you uh, just a brief example of what this uh, looked like uh, in my life. Uh, this is uh, kind of this is a lot less of a scale than what Paul is going through, but just on a, a small scale, uh, this is this is what it looked like. Uh, Clarissa and I, uh, if you don't know, we lived in uh, Japan for about a year uh, after we were married. Uh, we lived uh, just outside Tokyo, and uh, we were involved in a Bible study uh, there. There's a men's Bible study, women's Bible study, and I was going to this men's Bible study. There's about 200 guys uh, that would go to this study. And uh, there was a bunch of leaders uh, there in the study. And um, one of the things about Japan, if you don't know, is that uh, Japan work culture is crazy. Like uh, people there work super long hours, 10, 12, 14 hours is uh, expected. It's normal. And when you're working during the day, you don't leave the office until your boss already uh, leaves the office. Then you can leave. Uh, so if your boss hasn't left, you, you still stay. Even if you don't have work, you find work to do and you just stay and keep working. And so it's this crazy thing where people work very late into the evenings. Uh, our Bible study uh, was Monday nights, 7.30 p.m. And so uh, one of the leaders in the study, uh, he had for a, a long time been able to, to come to the study. Uh, his boss had allowed him uh, to kind of get off work early and he would go and he would later go back to work afterwards and keep working. Uh, at one point, his boss said to them, him, though, he said, hey, you know what, I know you've been going to this Bible study, you can't keep doing that, though. Uh, if you're going to keep working at this company, you need to actually uh, stay here the whole time, uh, just like everybody else. You can't be different, go, go off and, and do that. And so he was forced with a choice. He had to either say, okay, and continue doing his work and give up the Bible study, or continue going to the Bible study, leading that and leading those men, and give up his job. He chose to give up his job. He said, in essence, basically, uh, the Bible study and God's work that I'm doing here is more important. This is actually the priority. I'll, I'll trust that God will provide me with another job and provide me with another work. But this is really important. And so I'll tell you, as a 23-year-old guy who's there and sees this older man with a family willing to go through and do that and give up his job and his security and all of that to be a part of a Bible study and lead and disciple other men, that's really inspiring. When you see men doing that and you're like, wow, this is actually really important and it had a profound impact on me and how I live my life in terms of the things I prioritize in my life and put emphasis on. Here, because this man was willing to, in some sense, suffer, suffer the loss of his job for the sake of the work that God had called him to. And so for, for all of us, that's, I guess, our hope as a church. Paul's hope is that, you know what, his suffering would inspire others. Our hope is that our going through suffering for Christ, being an example of the, the contentment that's found in Christ, of, of the power of God's word, if we can do that, we will inspire one another in the church. We'll see one another going through these difficult things and saying, okay, I guess this is what it's called, he's called us to, and we're in this together. So there are the three reasons, the three reasons that, that Paul gives us of why to endure suffering. But I want to turn now to the last part of our text, the last part of our text where he gives Timothy really some motivations, some motivations of how he's actually going to be able to do it, which is often the difficult part, right? We can know intellectually, okay, yes, I need to suffer for these reasons here, but like in the moment, what are the things that will motivate me to actually be able to do it, want to do it, be able to actually go through it? And Paul uh, gives him this uh, saying, he says. It's probably uh, an extract perhaps from a hymn, maybe Paul wrote or someone in Paul's uh, church wrote. 
uh, this saying that he says is trustworthy and is a motivation for Timothy of how to actually go through this kind of uh, endurance. So let's read uh, the saying together. Verse 11. Paul writes, The saying is, tr- is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so he's got these four statements, these four if statements. If this, then this. And I want to just draw out of one out of each of these statements, four quick motivations for how we actually endure suffering. We'll, we'll move through them uh, quickly. Uh, the first motive for enduring suffering is that God is working in you. That God is working in you. It's not uh, immediately apparent when we read the verse, but look here. Uh, Paul writes, if we have died with him, Christ, we will also live with him. And this is really a, a phrase that Paul often used. He uses it in Romans uh, 6. Look at how he writes there. He says almost the exact same words. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And in the context of Romans 6, what Paul is talking about is not a physical death. He's talking about the, the spiritual death we have to sin uh, when we become a Christian. That we put sin to death, it's dead in our lives, and we are raised to this new resurrection life by the Holy Spirit working in us. There's this new life that we're actually called to. And so he's saying, if we, we've died with him, died to our sin, we will also live with him. We're saying, uh, Timothy, in the midst of your suffering, know that God is working in you. He has made you a new creation and he will be the one to be able to help you uh, go through this difficult trial. So the first motive is that God is working in you. Here's the second. Uh, Eternal glory awaits. Eternal glory awaits. In the, the second line, he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So he's saying, yes, there, there's endurance, but there's also reigning, speaking of heaven, what he talks about earlier in the passage, the eternal glory that is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, yeah, it's, it's hard right now. Incredibly difficult. Timothy, I'm in the midst of this. I know what it's like, but I know that it's far better, exponentially better in the end. That is the thing that, that motivates me. Right? Even the analogies Paul used last week, if you remember, he says the hardworking farmer is the one who will get the share of the crops. It's the athlete who's training who actually receive the crown. Saying, so yes, there's hard work now, but we, there's endurance, but there's reigning. There's heaven. Even in our own lives, we kind of know this, right? Like, if you're in school or you're training for some uh, program or job, uh, there's a lot of hard things right now you're going through. You're studying, you're working hard, you're doing all this, but why? Because you know it's going to end one day. You know that you're going to be able to get the job that you want, that you're going to be able to have the career option that you're looking for. You endure now for a reward later. The same is true even in in our jobs now. If we're working now, there's a lot of endurance. There's a lot of hardship. Why? Uh, Partly because the paycheck's coming, right? That's the reward. But even more than that, we're we're looking forward. Maybe there's retirement. Maybe there's a pension. Whatever it is, we're like, we're going to endure now because later there's a reward. Paul's saying that that is actually what's true for the Christian. We endure in difficult times now because we look forward to what will, will come. Look at how he writes in Romans chapter 8. He says, we are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. He says, for the, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
So there's this thing we look forward to. But then he says there's also something we need to remember. There's a warning. The third motivation, we will be denied if we deny him. We will be denied if we deny him. The, the third statement, he says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Which is very reminiscent of the way Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 10 to his disciples. He said, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Paul is saying both we are motivated by the reward, but also by the warning. The fact that if we deny Jesus in the midst of the things that we are going on, if we walk away from him, walk away from the faith, he's saying there is no grounds for hope that Jesus will actually welcome you into his kingdom. If you deny him, he will deny you. No one rewards the soldier who walks away in the heat of battle. The runner who gives up in the middle of the race never gets the prize. The same is true of our Christian life. If we walk away from running the race of faith, we have no confidence that Jesus will then welcome us in to his kingdom. We have the motivation. Yes, there's heaven. There's something come. We want to hear, well done and good faithful servant. But we also have the warning motivating us. At the same time, saying we don't want to hear the words, I never knew you, depart from me. Both of those are true. Both of those are motives to endure suffering. But the last one that Paul uh, gives us, the last motive for enduring suffering, is that God is still faithful even when we are not. The last uh, verse there, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's kind of a surprising statement. If you've been tracking with Paul's logic, it's kind of like, if, you, if we deny him, he will deny us. We kind of expect him to say, if we are faithless, God will be faithless to us. But Paul can't bring himself to say that. <laughs> or he knows that that's not true. God will not be faithful to, faithless to his people. He will be faithful. He can't deny himself. He can't deny who he is. He is a faithful God. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 3 about the Jewish people. He, he says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Right? We, we just walked through uh, Hosea a few months ago. It was all about, here's an unfaithful people, but a faithful God who will always uh, be faithful to his people. And we need to understand that this idea of God's faithfulness does not somehow contradict with what Paul just said about if we deny him, he'll deny us. Both are true. There, there's a difference in Paul's mind between denying Jesus and being unfaithful. To deny Jesus is a permanent final denial, much like what we see in Judas, where there, there, there isn't any repentance, any return to the Lord. But to be unfaithful is talking about, in some sense, our, our sin as we walk out this Christian life, but also even perhaps a, a temporary denial, such like Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. And yet he repented, came back to Christ and was an instrument that God used in the start of his building up of his church. So God is faithful even when we are not. As we kind of think about this idea, this call to suffering that we have, this is really the anchor that we can hold on to. Because it's a difficult thing that we're being called to, a thing that we're uncomfortable going into. 
and our confidence is not, okay, we got to do this, otherwise Jesus is going to deny us. But it is a confidence that God, I'm going to try and be as faithful as I can, knowing that I will probably fail. I will fall short. And when I do, I will come to you and trust that you will still be faithful to me, that you will still accept me. Not because I'm faithful, but because I'm in Christ. Right? That, that's the key. That's the difference. If we deny Jesus, we deny the means through which God has granted us forgiveness. But if we're saying, yeah, I am unfaithful and I've come back to Christ, I'm, I'm repentant, I want to follow you, I know I'm unfaithful, but Lord, help me to be faithful. We are still accepted, not because of us, but because of Christ. That is what the gospel message is all about. That God has loved a disobedient and unfaithful people. He's come in the cross. He's died the death that we deserve so that we could actually be restored to relationship with him, not because of our faithfulness, but because of his. And that is our hope as we continue in this life that will be filled with suffering and will be, as we try to be faithful, filled with, with those difficulties, filled with those hardships, and yet we, we hold on to the Lord. We hold on to his faithfulness in the midst of it. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are so faithful to us. Thank you that you have, through the cross, demonstrated your utmost faithfulness to a disobedient and rebellious people. We know when we look at the cross, we, we know that you remain faithful to us. And so we pray you would give us strength to be faithful to you and to live the life that you call us, to not be afraid or worried, but to live in confidence that your word will go forth. We thank you for the church that you've surrounded us with to build each other up and to encourage one another in this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.